Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in 1 Peter chapter 1. We are going through 1 Peter chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are, we'll, we'll start in verse 6 this morning, a little overlap from last week. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We like folks not only to hear the Word of God, but to see it. You read the Word of God. Actually, when your eyes, anything you put your eyes to, science will tell you. And what you look at is burned into your brain. That should be a wonderful thought and a very scary thought. But when we read the Word of God, it's literally... (laughs) chemicals, whatever, I can't explain it. They're being burned into our brain, and that's what we want. That's what I want. That's what we want. We'll be starting in verse 6, a little overlap from last week. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvations, the prophets, speaking of the men and women in the Old Testament, prophesying to the future of Jesus, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow to them, meaning the Old Testament prophets and the men and women of God in the Old Testament. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us, They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Lord, let that be the cry of our heart. Be, I want to be holy. Why? Because you're holy. We want to be holy because you're holy. We want to love because you love. We want to 
reflect the image of your glory because you shine, your glory shines, Lord. And it's, it, it's seen everywhere. And Lord, I pray that you would just take us through your word this morning, build us up, warn us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Verse six says, in this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. So what is the reason that you greatly rejoice? Briefly, I promise, verse 3. We were in this last week. The answer is in verse 3. What's the reason that they greatly rejoice? Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. What is the reason we greatly rejoice? Because we have been begotten again. Most of the time we hear the term what? Born again. Because we have been born again. And the verse says that we began with this morning, verse 6, it says, in this you greatly rejoice. What does that mean, being born again? Well, the Bible says that God is so beautiful in his holiness and that heaven is such a perfect place that in order to have a relationship with God, in order to go to heaven, that perfect place, every sin you have ever committed, every single one, don't say heaven doesn't count your sin. Don't say heaven just winks at your sin doesn't pay attention to it. Wrong, 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 wrong. Every single one is counted. And every, every one of them needs to be removed. It needs to be removed. It needs to be paid for. It needs to be, there can't be even a little trace of it in order to enter into a relationship with God. But however, could a human being accomplish that? To remove any sin I've ever committed? The answer is that I need a brand new life. The answer is I must be born again into a new life in which I am covered, not with my own holiness, but with the holiness of Jesus. It says there in verse 3, God does that. God does that work. He begets us through a supernatural operation. He begets us. And I just had my hand operated on this week. Got something taken out of it that wasn't supposed to be there. Cost a lot of money. Or the insurance that I pay for costs a lot of money. How much do we pay, though, for this operation that God does where he begets us again? The answer is nothing. Verse 3 says, according to his abundant mercy, meaning it's free. We, we just go to him with a heart of surrender and say, I want it. I need a new life. I need the new life in you. And then verse 3 says that we are born into a living hope. Why does verse 6 say we greatly rejoice? Or why does it say you can greatly rejoice? Because you're begotten again into a living 
hope, not a dead hope, a living hope. Why is there so much despair in the world? Because the hope that the world grabs onto, those hopes die. Only a matter of time. That hope grounded in what the world offers dies. Not the hope that God gives. And he gives it for free. It's a living hope. Verse 4 calls this hope by a different name. A living hope. It calls it an inheritance. It calls it an inheritance. Why do we greatly rejoice, verse 6? Because we have been begotten again into a living hope, an inheritance. What exactly is that? What exactly is the inheritance? We think of inheritance, we think of big bucks. But the, the Bible says that our inheritance is an everlasting relationship with God it doesn't begin at some point in the future when we die. It be, can begin now. Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart. Open it up, I will come in. Now. Psalm 16, David in Psalm 16 describes the inheritance like this. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, I've had money. I've been through all that. That's, money doesn't bring joy. This does. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's the inheritance. And it says, uh, again, in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Um, why else? Well, verse 4 says it's an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it does not fade away. Um, I put up last week, First Peter 1.4, in the NIV. We're in the New King James. This is the New International Version. It calls it an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That is why we greatly rejoice. It, it, and, and even more so, it goes on there in verse 4, and it says reserved in heaven for you, and then in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Who are kept by the power of God. Meaning, we don't hold on to this inheritance by our own power. This relationship uh, in which in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy at his right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. That's, we are not responsible, nor are we even able to keep that ourselves. God is in charge of doing that. And it says there, it says it's reserved in, her, in heaven for us, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of God. That's why the inheritance is will never perish, spoil, or fade. That's why it's incorruptible. That's why it's undefiled. It, because it's kept by the power of God. Not our power, but God's power. And I put up this uh, verse last week in Hebrews 6, 6.19. You know, I'm an anchor guy. I grew up with anchors because I grew up uh, by the water, uh, out in boats in crazy weather. And so I like anchor verses. There are a few in the Bible. This hope we have as an anchor 
of the, uh, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. What this means is that, this in, it, that your inheritance, your everlasting relationship with God, uh, your inseparation from God, it's, it's, it's like an anchor of the soul, but where's this anchor lodged into? In the very presence of heaven, this is what the, the presence means here, behind the veil, meaning in the presence of heaven, at the foot of Jesus, no one's messing with that anchor. Now, again, I, I grew up throwing anchors in the water and t- trying to hold a boat I was in or a boat I, I had been in, and I, I literally have had it happen before that I have literally have had it happen before that an anchor... I'll put it in the boat, and maybe I'll get out of the boat, and I'll be walking up the beach, and I'll walk about half a mile, look back, and the anchors, I mean, the boat has drifted off to sea. And guess what that means? It means I'm getting wet, and I'm going to be swimming. But, the, you know, the, 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 there are other stories of, uh, that's because the anchor was, was not grounded properly. Maybe it was grounded in sand. But there are other stories. I have an aunt who was in the Cape Cod Canal. Now, if you've ever been near the Cape Cod Canal, the current is so intense in the Cape Cod Canal. It can be very dangerous. It can take someone under. I've been, since I was born, I, and seeing it, you will not survive if you jump off that bridge. Because, you know, you go over the Cape Cod Canal Bridge, and as a little kid, hey, what would happen if someone jumped off? Well, that's how people commit suicide, tragically. There have been. You go into the canal, you're gone if, if, there, if there's a full current. Well, my aunt was somewhere in the canal fishing or something when there was a slack tide. If you don't know what that means, you know, the current gets strong and then it stops and there's a slack tide. You can actually stay there for a while in a boat. She put an anchor in. But the problem is, is the, the, it got lodged in rocks and she couldn't pull it up. And, it got, and the, the current increased so much that the boat started going under. This, now, this is a life or death situation at this point because uh, current, strong currents can actually take an entire buoy under a, or, or a boat like that, a small dinghy or whatever. It'll, it'll take it right under. She was only able to, to, to get out of this thing because she cut the rope. She cut the rope and let the boat go. Now... That is a, a surely fastened anchor right there. But can you imagine an anchor that's lodged into the very presence of heaven? It's, it's sure, it's steadfast, the Bible says. And so it, it says, verse 6, this is why we greatly rejoice. This is why we greatly rejoice. And, it, and then it says, it goes on, and, and he's not going to play make pretend here because these people are in a lot of suffering. And he says, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Grieved by various trials. Now, this letter was written on or around 65 A.D., 65 years approximately after the birth of Christ. And at that time, there was a full-on persecution of Christians, meaning you were a Christian, they went after you. 
And it wasn't to try to pull you into their birthday party or something and have a great time with you. It was to kill you. Emperor Nero at the time, he blamed, it was a, 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 actually AD 64, there was a very large fire, destroyed a good part of Rome. The emperor blamed it on uh, Christians, followers of Christ, Christ followers, and a great persecution began. Christians were arrested, convicted, sentenced to death. They were, the means of execution was just brutal. Some of them were thrown into the Roman Colosseum where they would be released and literally torn apart by wild beasts. They were crucified on crosses. They were set ablaze on poles to, lamp as, uh, to, uh, to, to serve as lamps by night. In the end, Peter himself as the, uh, and the apostle Paul, they were put to death by the Romans. That's what people were going through when they got this letter. Now, more likely than not, you're not going to tomorrow be thrown out to, 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 to the wild beasts. However, there's an awful good chance that at some time you're going to enter into a trial. It's going to feel like you're being torn apart by beasts. Some of you may be in a trial like that right now in your life. And you're thinking, why, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? Why am I going through this? Verses 6 through 16, which we read this morning, these verses, they're about the why, the how, and the what of trials. The why, the how, and the what of trials. Why, Lord? How do I get through them, Lord? What specifically do you want me to do, Lord? Verse 7 is the why. Verse 7 is the why. Why, Lord? Why am I in this? It says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's sort of a three-part answer. Let's break it down. Three parts, these three parts actually. He says that the genuineness, number one, the genuineness of your faith will be revealed. Number two, that impurities in your faith will be burned off. Why do trials happen? Why, Lord? Number three, that praise, honor, and glory will go to God. So, number one, that the genuineness of your faith will be revealed. Jesus himself makes clear in the Gospels. Matthew 7, 21, not all, all of you who call me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. He makes it clear that not all those who say they have a relationship with him actually have one. Not all those who call themselves Christian are Christians. Now, human relationships are tested, right? You're in a human relationship. It will be tested eventually. A relationship between a man and a woman, or a relationship, a friendship between a man and another man, or a woman and a woman, that relationship is going to be tested. Something will put that relationship to the test to see if it's real. 
And you'll find out whether it survives, whether there was, it was a genuine relationship. Disagreements, hurts, pains. Uh, they're either worked through or the relationship, people walk away from the relationship. Same with the relationship with God. Listen, God has chosen. He has chosen. And, and it's really, it's not our business to question him on this. He has chosen, he knows what he's doing, to put the relationship with you to test. We're never going to fully understand why, maybe even when we get to heaven. There's some of the answers as to why he does that later on in this verse. But he's chosen to do that. He's chosen to put the, his relationship with you to test. And, and, and just like in human relationship, you are going to come across, and if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, this has already happened, disagreements and misunderstandings will arise between you and God. Wait a second, Lord. This thing that is happening in my life, I don't like it, and I, I didn't sign up for this. If the relationship is real, verse 7, if it is genuine, there is not a falling away. Jesus says, not all of you who call me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father, which is above. You know what the will of God is? Just to believe in Jesus and to stick with him. That's it. Jesus says the works of God are to believe in his son. Why, Lord? So that the genuine, why the trial, Lord? So that the genuineness of your faith will be revealed. Number two is that impurities in your faith will be burned off. That's, that's number two. If you're here and you didn't know this, it's time to smell the coffee. There's impurities in your faith. There are. There's impurities in my faith. There are. What is an impurity? Anything that doesn't look like Jesus? What is an impurity? Anything that doesn't look like Jesus. There's a lot of pride wrapped up in and around our faith. Where, what does it, that look like? Where, where the pride is like, just, in, you know, there's a, re, there's a reference here to a refining fire of gold and silver, where, you know, gold and silver, there's impurities like throughout the gold and silver, just lodged in the middle of our faith. There's, a, a, there's pride where our walk, our life, our faith is empowered more by our confidence in our own strength, our own personality, our wit, our own gifts and talents, rather than empowered by God himself, by the Holy Spirit. Now, goldsmiths and silversmiths call that dross, impurity, that needs to be refined in the fire. You've probably heard this illustration. It's an illustration worth being repeated for the length of our walk with God. When a silversmith or a goldsmith refines gold or silver in the fire, 
there is a practice in some countries of uh, where the, you know there's not as much technology, and in sort of in the past when there wasn't technology, of the goldsmith or silversmith refining the gold to a point where the goldsmith could see his reflection in the gold. And that's, hence the reason for the reference to refined, tested in the fire in verse 7. Jesus wants to look at your life and he wants to see Jesus. He wants to see him. That's who he wants to see. And there's a lot of pride and a lot of other gunk, dross, just mixed up in places that we have no ability to pull them out. And the Bible says that he refines them. And, and you know, there's, there's one thing about a refining fire. I, 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 it, it hurts. I tell you, I, I, I have a confession to make. In the beginning of my walk with Christ, and I, I'm not exaggerating at all here, and this is, this is just me and not particularly proud in a good way of, of this kind of mentality. But at the beginning of my walk with Christ, I just dove into like prayer with God. Yeah, Lord, anything it takes, humble me, break me, uh, that refining fire, Lord, bring it my way. And oh, that Satan guy, just bring him on. I'm just going to give him a knockout punch. I even have my pre-boxing thing on here. But, but uh, 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 you know, really, but you know what happened? Be careful what you pray for, the wise man said. It, it, they began to come and it hurts. It hurts to be, it, it says tested by fire. Fire hurts. Give me a cut on my arm. Don't burn my arm. Is anyone in agreement with me on that, by the way? I can't stand burns. I mean, it, you know, it tested by, by, by fire. And, and I got to tell you, um, it has gotten to the point where I don't dive into that prayer. In fact, it's, 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 there, there's almost a reluctance now. Just, yeah, Lord, humble me, you know but don't do what you've done, you know, this kind of thing. And, and I, 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 I find myself really struggling with that prayer because it hurts. And you know, sometimes this is crazy. I, I find myself recently apologizing to the Lord. Lord, I am sorry you have to put me through trials to make, to make you into a reflection of you. But that is how much sin has defiled us. The Bible says we're beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made. But man, has our disobedience got dross in the middle of our faith. Second reason for trials, it takes the impurities off. Number three says that the praise, honor, and glory will go to God. The why 
is that the gen, uh, why, why the trials, the genuineness of our faith will be revealed, the impurities of our faith will be burned off. Number three, that praise, honor, and glory will go to God, that it'll be revealed. Revealed. You know, anyone that does have a genuine faith, any, anyone who has the slightest operation of the Holy Spirit in their life, and by that I mean anyone who's given the Holy Spirit even a little control, you want, to attra- you want your life to attract someone to Jesus. You want your life to be attractive to someone, at least a little bit, to God. You want that. But you know what I found? Without exception, you know, when, when, when a person begins obeying the word of God, God does what he promises to do, and over time, wonder of wonders, the follower of Jesus, their life will really start coming together. Just things will start coming together. And I tell you, as a pastor, this is one of the most wonderful things to observe. Someone's just obeying God. All of a sudden, things start coming together. Their emotions, their finances, their relationships. And over time, there is a, there's an attraction to their life, a certain attraction to the, the life of a believer. Surrender to Jesus and does not stop moving forward. But here's the deal. And this is so important. Without trials, and I'm talking about refining fire trials, I'm talking about wild beasts is ripping me apart trials, without those, there'll be a certain attraction of your life. If your relationships are intact, your finances, your emotions... But meanwhile, you don't have any wild beast tearing you apart. You know, there's no cancer, no deaths in the family. You know, no one's in prison, no layoff from work, no one's slandering you, gossiping about you. No overwhelming temptation in your life. No full-on crisis. No wild beast tearing you apart. But God's put everything else together. Yes, there's a certain attraction, but, you know, the world's like, wow, cool, man. Look at that, look at that life that, that woman is leading. That's cool. Hey, can you pass me that bag of weed? They'll only get a little attention. But let me tell you, if there's a wild beast ripping you apart, and your emotions and your relationships are together, now that gets someone's attention. That will draw someone in. This third reason of the why that you will bring praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I remember after 9-11, and this is just an example of this, that we, our, our family, for ever since we've been, we, we've returned to Boston about 16, 17 years ago, we've had the same hairdresser. Now, I dropped off four years ago when we went uh, when I took a full-time job at the church because uh, I, I don't like paying a lot of money for my hair. Some of you are like, mm-hmm, I see that. But um, uh, anyway, um, 
but this this woman actually we love her. She's a friend of our family. She's actually a, a household name in, in our family. Her name is Ellen, and uh, she. I remember after nine eleven. Now she had known us for some time, and by the grace of God, by the time we showed up at Ellen's place in Jamaica Plain. God had sorted out so much in our lives. Our family looked like a real stable family. It was, and it is. Just our finances were good. Our kids were in, in good Boston uh, public schools. We, they were doing, or they, they were thriving there. Um, things were cool. And she had a certain kind of attraction to our family. Because, you know... You know, she would share just a lot of sort of the drama and stuff that was going on uh, in her own life. And there's a certain attraction, but let me tell you, it wasn't until 9-11 that she came out and and said, you know, you're the only people I see with any peace. Tell me why you have peace. And my guess is at that point we had already shared with her, but she just wasn't listening. (laughs) And so we were able to share Christ with her because there was a full-on crisis that was going on. And we were able to our lives were able to bring glory to Jesus Christ in in such a way because why? Because Things were really crazy at the time. And, you know, there's a certain tragedy in the fact that, you know, churches filled up for a while. People were really interested in God for a while, but it tapered off after about three or four months. But, but listen, the point is, why the trials? One, the genuineness of your faith will be revealed. Number two, that the dross will be, the impurities will, will be burned off your faith. And three, that will bring uh, glory to Uh, Jesus Christ. So how about, we've discussed the why, how about the how do I go through this Lord? How do I get through it? That's verse 8. Very simple. Some of you are going to say, come on, this is it. This is it. It says, whom having not seen, you love. Interesting little tidbit here. He's, he, 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 he's talking throughout in the second person, meaning you, you haven't seen. Why? Because he saw Jesus. He's writing as a, as a firsthand eyewitness, but verse 8 says, Whom you, having not seen, you love. So how do you get through a trial? How do you live in it? Loving Jesus. Let's continue on in verse 8. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What's the second thing? First thing is loving. The second thing is what? Believing. That's correct. Loving and believing. The more I got to know my wife, Stephanie, the more I loved her. 
The more you get to know the Lord, the more you love him. And brothers and sisters, you better get that going now or you are going to be in big trouble when the wild beasts are tearing you apart in the trials of life. How do you get through the trials of life, the affliction, the refining fire by loving your Lord. He says, though having not seen him, you love him by just going to the Lord and, 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 and Lord, no matter how bad it gets, I'm staying with you because I love you. Really, that is the heart of the Christian life, someone who understands what happened at the cross, that Jesus died in my place, that someone who has pictured themselves dying on the cross and saying, yes, that's how it should have been, but just imagine yourself being taken down and replaced by Jesus, and he not only died for me in my sins, the Bible says the punishment for my sin is death, but Jesus was punished in my place, He rose from the dead, and now we can live the resurrection life with him. I love that about you, Jesus. I hate this trial. It hurts. But I love you, and I'm staying with you no matter what. Loving, but the second thing is believing. It just... Faith is a gift, and it says a mustard seed of faith will move a mountain. Brothers and sisters, if you are having wild beasts tear you apart right now, you just got to exercise that mustard seed of faith. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. The one I was just in here recently myself, Hebrews 13, 5, it's so simple, but are you going to believe it? It says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the very next verse uh, says this. It says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So much of the makeup of trials is about fear. Fear. Loving Jesus and believing Jesus. That's the how. Let's continue. Verse 9. Let's continue. What more specifically, be a little bit more specifically, how this plays out. Well, that's where he's going to go. He says in verse 9, you receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would be coming to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That is a reference to the Old Testament. That's what we do around here on Sunday nights. We go through the Old Testament and how the prophets prophesied about the coming suffering of the Messiah, the coming suffering of the Son of God. What these verses are talking about, the prophets would look at, would, would utter stuff, and then they couldn't even figure out, what is this stuff I'm uttering, I'm talking about? I don't even get it. And so they would search 
the scriptures and try to figure out what does this mean? Well, interesting tidbit again in verse 11, it says the spirit of Christ was in them. If there's any doubt among you whether or not the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, look no further than that verse. This, this is prior to Jesus' birth. It says the spirit of Christ lived in them. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So he's just speaking of here that beforehand, before Jesus ever was, was born on earth, the Bible says that already in the Old Testament, in the prophets, there was this whole glorious promise that we would be given new life, that we would become born again, not into a dead hope, but a living hope. And, and he's saying, you guys got it. Now you have to believe it. But what about the what? I love it. Verse 13, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, just really pay attention. Why is that therefore? I want to read. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So we discuss why the trials. We discussed that. We discussed the how, how do I get through it? But what specifically, Lord, do you want me to do? Here you go. He starts off in verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. Ooh! Anyone know what that means? Gird up the loins of your mind? Can you please give me the message or some easier translation? Like, what does that mean? Well, at the time, um, girding up, this expression, uh, the, the, the men and the women had robes that went all the way down. They didn't have separate, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't walk around in shorts and stuff like that. And so when they began to work and to really get down to business with their work, they girded up, they pulled up their robe and they tucked it in a belt. And that's when they really began to work. And this, but this says, this verse says, what do you do when you're in trial? What specifically? First things first, gird up the loins of your mind. Let me tell you, when you're being torn apart by wild beasts, as these folks, some of their family actually was, your mind starts going to places it has no business going to. Your thinking becomes very unclear. You, you really, you, you, can't, you can't even trust your, your, your own heart in so many ways, in your own thinking. And he's saying, look, first things first, how do you, what do you want to do to get through it? You got to gird up the loins of your mind. You got to start thinking very, very clearly because you're in a very dangerous place. Let me tell you, I've seen people in a time of great affliction and trial, make the most disastrous 
unimaginable decisions in their life. Why? Because that's what happens to our flesh. Our mind starts going to places it shouldn't go. We need, he says, you need to be clear thinking now. Now, the next thing he says is what? Be sober. Is he talking about alcohol there? Someone say no. No. Louder. Someone say no. No. He's not talking about alcohol. He's saying, be sober. You're in an incredibly bad uh, trial. Be sober. Interesting. Very interesting. Last week, Pastor Serge was here reading some crazy, wild, God-inspired, infallible words from the book of Revelation talking about how in the end times people will be getting drunk from the wine of fornication. And he described what that was, spent most of his time. Yes, there's a, there's a, there's a drinking the wine of fornication. Really, he just talked, what did he say? It's anything which intoxicates us. Anything. He spent most of his time on money. Could be that he's coming from Haiti to the United States and we get a problem with that here? Like all that money becomes really intoxicating? But guess what else intoxicates us? When we're being in the middle, when we're being torn apart by wild beasts, that's what intoxicates us. Anxiety, stress will make us drunk. And he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind and be Sober. Be sober. Sober up. Clear out your mind. Focus on the Word of God. Because there is a certain devastating, or it can be devastating, intoxication when you are in the middle of of serious, full-on crisis afflictions. Be sober. Don't be intoxicated by it. Don't be fooled by this thing that's in front of you. And and by the way, interestingly enough, people have taken this verse and they think, well, be sober. He must mean that we need to be serious. Some translations actually say that. So, you know, Christians walk around like... And they think they're being real spiritual. You know what's amazing? The verse means precisely the opposite. What has he been talking about throughout these verses? What word? Joy. In, in, in this context, when they're in the middle of trials, to be sober means to have joy. I have people on a regular basis feel like they have a right to stay in despondency, in despair, in discouragement. And believe me, I'm talking to my own heart too because I cling on to that right myself. I'm not walking around like a happy camper all the time myself, believe me. Because that's my wife or my kids. I, just, I, I asked my daughter, Alicia, she, she asked me how I was. I said, okay. She goes, are you always just okay? <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, I struggle with the same things you guys struggle with. But when, when you get in the middle of a crisis and trial, being sober means to be joyful. Because there guess what? Because you have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, and it's, 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 it's kept and reserved in heaven by the power of God. Are you with me? And then, and then he says this. He says, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning 
a lot of your thought life should be focused on heaven to come or, or Jesus to come, whichever comes sooner. Listen, what he's saying is this. If you're resting your hope on this world, if this world is your home, you're going to be sorely disappointed, hugely disappointed. If you are investing so much in, in this world that, that it has, you know, you've put down those foundations into this world, this is my home, you're never going to make it through your trial. In fact, the letter was addressed, it says at the beginning of verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, Peter says this letter is to pilgrims, to sojourners, to aliens, meaning temporary residents. He's saying don't do that. Remember the hope of heaven. Don't invest in this home. And then he goes on, he says, as obedient children... Do not conform yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as, you who, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now wait a second, Lord. You're telling me I'm in the midst of, uh, of being torn up by wild beasts. I'm in the midst of this trial at work. My, my boss is a lion. My husband is a raging beast. My whoever, you know, whatever the trial may be. You're supposed to be patting me on the back. You're supposed to be telling me comforting words. You're supposed to be encouraging me. You're telling me to be holy? Come on. You got to be kidding, Lord. No, he's not kidding. And let me tell you why. He knows how we are. How many of you can relate to this? As soon as things get bad, what do you want to return to? This verse actually says it. Your former lusts. That's what it says. That's what, actually, that's what it just read. It says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. All this kind of ties together in this chapter. First thing that happens in a, in a trial, what do we want to do? We want to go back to our former lusts. Drink, drugs, sexual immorality, working our mind off, eating like crazy, whatever, whatever it is. We want to go back and get a a, a short-term comfort. And it will be. There will be a short-term comfort if you return to your former lust. He's saying, don't do that. He's saying, be holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy. Let me conclude with this. What does that mean anyway, to be holy? Unfortunately, there's all kinds of crazy religious notions of what it means to be holy. There's all kinds of, people have this notion of holy and they think of man-made rules. Someone just shared with me recently, and I really appreciate it, my wife and I have one email account, not two, one and the reason is, if we, we want to, there's a reason I've been married for 26 years, you know, we, we, we really, we, we, we keep ourselves very accountable, and I, I want to, we want to make sure if, if there is a communication between the opposite sex that the other is seeing it, and there are times where my wife says, you know, I'm not sure I was incredibly comfortable with that email, but someone just shared with me recently, you know, Steve, because you have that other's feel pressured that in order to be holy, they need to do the same thing. 
please don't do that to me. Please don't do that to me. That has nothing to do with holiness. That is a personal conviction. Don't let my conviction become your law. Don't think you have to sign up for separate email accounts. That is a false man-made holiness. Holiness is something that, that is born in the heart by the Holy Spirit. It's something between you and God. Sure, yes, there's very, you know, there's clear things in the Bible like the Ten Commandments, and it's really simple. Everything else you need to develop between you and God. How do I act out the Ten Commandments? That's between you and the Lord. And don't let, don't let anyone put a guilt trip on you because you're not doing what they're doing. Holiness is what? Beautiful. Used five times in the Bible. The beauty of holiness. It's beautiful. Why is it beautiful? Because it looks like who? Jesus. You want to know what holiness is? Just go to his life. You're in a certain situation. How do I be holy in this situation? Go and read the Gospels about what Jesus did. He's been with his disciples for three years, investing his whole time in them, his life in them. And at, the, at the, his last time with them at the Last Supper, they're arguing about who, who, which one would be the greatest. Ever spent three or four years with someone? Maybe with your kids. You spent 15 years with them. And there's certain areas of life they're still clueless. What am I supposed to do? You go to Jesus. What did he do? He got up, removed his armor, outer garment, put a towel in his, over his waist, got a basin of water, and washed their feet. That's crazy. But it's also holy. That's what holiness is. And ultimately, what's our motivation for being holy? Last verse. Be holy, for I am holy. So the why of trials, the how of trials, the what do I do? Why? It proves the gen- why am I in a trial? It proves the genuineness of my faith. It removes the impurities from my faith, and it brings glory to God. How do I get through it? By loving Jesus and believing Jesus. And what specifically do I do? I gird up the loins of my mind. I get sober, which means joyful. And I, I'm obedient to the word of God. I, I'm, I'm holy. Okay, so I'm going to call the worship team up. And if there was something in this message which pricked your heart... Maybe you have never in your life responded to Jesus' call, responded to his knocking. I know that I went to church really for over 20 years, the first 20 years of my life. I had never asked Jesus to come in and say, okay, you take over. If you've never done that, there's some folks are going to be up here during the closing worship song. Come up and pray for Pray with them. It's a simple prayer of faith. You're not, you're not, you don't enter into a relationship with God to try to make up for all the bad things you've done in your life. You, you enter into a relationship with God by being born again. Who does that work? God does that work. How? Simply asking him. If you've never done that, please come up uh, during the closing worship song. Can we get some prayer uh, folks up here? 
and also, but also during this, uh, d- during the closing w- uh, worship, if, if, if you feel like you're being uh, torn up by wild beasts, if you're being torn up by wild beasts, or if you're in some trial where it's like, why am I in this? How do I get through? What do I do? Then just come up and someone will come alongside of you and, 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 and pray with you. And, and if there's any time that we need to be vulnerable, it's when we're with a family of God. And just, just pray through it with them. So let's stand now and close in a worship song and, uh, and give glory to the Lord just through, uh, th- uh, through worship. I'm going to pray and then we'll begin. Father, I just thank you for this, this word, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, that you would that you would draw us in, Lord, by this word. I know that um, I know, Lord, in this room there are people just in various degrees of trials, and that, that some of us here we're 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 like surfing on the crest of a wave. But then there's all manners of other places on the wave. Some are in the trough. Some are having the wave crash over them, Lord. Show them the why. I just pray that they can internalize it. Show them the how. How, Lord, do I, do I navigate this trial and, and show them the what, Lord? I just pray. And, Lord, if there is someone here, has never opened their heart wide for you to just come in. Just pray, Lord, that you would draw them in this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.